Hello and welcome to our second meeting of the Dion Corporation Board. We have been discussing that new product that's going to make the company millions. Yes, fifth graders, I hope that you have been busy planning and thinking about your inventions. What are you going to create? What does every child need right now? What's the next big thing, fifth graders? Think about some other trends and things that have been popular over the last few years. Can you think of any? What are some things that have just exploded onto the market? Things that it seems like just every kid needed to buy. Can you think of some? Go ahead and call them out. I can't hear you, but that's okay. I'm thinking of a whole bunch of really popular trends and things that kind of came, made a big impact on the public, and then, like all things, just kind of faded away. All right, well, what you're going to do, fifth graders, is you're going to design a product. It could be anything at all from your imagination. Have some fun with it. Create something. What does the world need? If you can't think of a totally original idea, one modification or suggestion is take an existing product and improve it. Think of something in your everyday life that you use or that you wish you could use if only it was a little different or had a subtle change to it. How could you make something better? Okay, once you have your idea, once you have your plan, you should sketch it. You should make a design on paper and label it. What are the different components? What are the pieces? How does it work? What does it do? What are the functions? What kinds of attachments or parts are involved in your creation? What can you use it for? Anything you can think of, fifth graders, get those ideas down. Make up a full mock-up. Because what you'll eventually do, if you choose, is you'll create your product. And of course, that's at your leisure. That's at your availability to do so. <laughs> I've seen some really great clay models and popsicle stick models of various inventions. Um, people use old shoe boxes for different things. Have fun with it, fifth graders. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your products. So you've, you've invented something, right? You've got your idea. You know how it's going to work. What you're going to do now, fifth grade, is you're going to use your, your background information and you're going to start to think about how much would it cost to make this item. What are the various pieces? How much do those pieces cost? You might need to do a little internet research, right? Let's say, just for the sake of simplicity, fifth graders, that I'm making some sort of a springy boingy thing, right? I know there's no such thing as a springy boingy thing. I just made that up. And the springy boingy thing is made out of a piece of wood and a spring. Again, this is very simple, fifth graders, but I'm doing this to prove a point. I want to think about what it would cost to make the springy boingy, right? I'm going to need a piece of wood and I'm going to need a spring. So I'm going to figure out what size piece of wood I'm going to need. And I'm going to do a little research on how much does it cost to buy a, just a spring, just a metal spring. All right, I'm going to go online or I'm going to talk to somebody or maybe a parent knows or who knows. Maybe you even know how much this stuff costs. Maybe you've bought, you maybe you've purchased a piece of wood before. I'm going to say that the piece of wood costs a dollar, right? I'm going to say that the spring costs 15 cents. So if I buy a piece of wood and a spring, I'm spending $1.15. So it would cost me $1.15 to make one of my springy boingies. <laughs> All right, $1.15 to make one. So then 
what you're going to do, fifth graders, is figure out, okay, if it costs me $1.15 to make one of these units, we'll call it a unit, that's what they call it in the business world, a product is a unit, if it costs me $1.15 to make a unit, how much am I going to charge people for it? Now remember, I want to make a profit for the Dion Corporation. Okay, I want to make that CEO, Mr. Dion, as rich as possible. So, <laughs> what should I charge for a springy boingy? It costs $1.15 to make it, and I want to make a little money back, which means I should charge someone more money than it costs to make it, so that after I spend the $1.15 to make it, I'm still getting a little bit of money back when someone buys it. All right, I'm, I'm hoping people will want to buy it. If not, I'm going to be out $1.15, right? I wouldn't want to charge $1.15 for the item because if I spend $1.15 to make it and I only charge $1.15 for someone to buy it, I'm not making any profit, right? No money is coming back to me. I want to charge just a little bit more. So I'm thinking, what do you think? I mean, I'm thinking... $2, right? How much of a profit would that be? If I spent $1.15 to make it and someone bought it for $2, how much money am I getting back? Yeah, it's not a lot, is it? I mean, I maybe could make my product $2.50. I could possibly make it $3, right? But why do I need to be careful? What do I need to be careful of? If it costs me $1.15 to make these things, and I charge, let's say, 5 bucks for it, whew, what am I running the risk of? Can you think of something? Right? What if the Daniels Corporation comes along and sees the Dion Corporation is making something for $1.15 and selling it for $5? What do you think the Daniels Corporation is going to do? Hey, what did Burger King do to McDonald's? Right? The Daniels Corporation might make a very similar item to the Springy Boingy. Okay? They might call it the Bouncy Bouncy, right? I don't know. And they might spend about the same to make it. But they might decide to charge a little less. Now, sure, they won't be making as much of a profit as Mr. Dion and the Dion Corporation. But ultimately, they actually might be making more money. How would they make more money? What do you think? Do you think people would go and perhaps buy the less expensive version? It might not be as good as the springy boingy. Okay, the bouncy bouncy might be <laughs> slightly cheaper materials. I don't know. But if they charge a little less for it, it might be possible that people might buy it from the Daniels Corporation. They might be willing to sacrifice quality to get something for a little bit cheaper. And therefore, that would render the Dion Corporation out. We would be not selling as many items because people are buying the cheaper version. And therefore, the D Daniels Corporation might be making more money. I know that all sounds very confusing. But... Fifth graders, if you think about it, you have to be very careful how much you charge for something because there's always some company or some competitor that's going to try to create something. Realizing your success, they might try to create something that undermines your product. There's all kinds of cheap knockoff versions of things out there. Can you think of some? It only takes one look on Amazon to find that there are lots of cheap <laughs> knockoff versions of things.
All right, fifth graders. Happy creating, happy planning. So far in the project, the next big thing project, we have started thinking about our inventions and we've started thinking about how much do you suppose it would cost to make one and then what do you think is a suitable price to charge the good people of the world for your wonderful invention. All right, fifth graders, I hope you've been well. I hope you've been busy. The weather recently has not been awesome. It's been cold. It's been windy. It's been a little rainy. And so I'm hoping that the weather will take a turn for the better. What have you been up to? The boys and I still continue to try to get outside as much as possible. We've actually been doing a lot of exploring on Mount Tom in East Hampton. We, I don't know if you've ever climbed Mount Tom. It's a pretty fascinating mountain. I know it's just a mountain, but it's got a pretty interesting history to the mountain. A lot of things have happened on that mountain that are, are pretty cool um, and tragic. So one of the cool things about Mount Tom is, believe it or not, there have been some structures that were built on the top of Mount Tom. The Summit House, which I believe was built in 1890, in the late 1800s, I know that, okay, there was a wooden summit house that people could climb the mountain. Some people would take the trolley up to the top and visit this really neat observation deck on the top of the mountain. You could see the landscapes around the mountain from this beautiful structure. President William McKinley even visited the summit house with his wife and proclaimed the view the most beautiful in the world. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I've been to the top of Mount Tom. I would I don't know if it's the most beautiful in the world. I might be able to think of a few more beautiful places, but there you go. William McKinley, President of the United States, uh, proclaimed the view from the top of Mount Tom the most beautiful in the world. Um, but it was a busy place. A lot of people from the surrounding areas, Holyoke, would go to the top of the mountain and look around and enjoy those views. It was pretty uh, amazing. However, in October 8th, on October 8th, 1900, a fire destroyed the Summit House. So, what do we do now? Well, we build another one, right? But this time, we make it uh, bigger and better, right? So they built another summit house, and this one wasn't intended to be a hotel, but eventually sort of kind of was marketed as one. It had a restaurant. You could go to the top of Mount Tom and dine, and there was all kinds of really cool stuff happening there. And uh, let's see. I'm just looking at a little book I found on Mount Tom. In 1929... Uh, the Depression was in full swing, and this made it impossible for the second Summit House to expand. But then, on May 2nd, another fire broke out in the kitchen uh, of the Summit House. And within a few hours, the whole thing was reduced to ashes for a second time. So two Summit Houses at the top of Mount Tom both burned down. So what do you do? Well, you build a third one, right? And you make this one out of steel. And so this one was built 
just to the west of the previous building. But, you know, it wasn't as large and it wasn't as impressive as the second Summit House, and the public's response was less than enthusiastic. In fact, it was so underwhelming that it was dismantled not long after it was built. So, they just took it apart. Anyway, if you go to the top of Mount Tom today, you can actually see a lot of the foundations. You can see the walkways. You can see where these structures once stood. And you can follow a road, which actually used to be the old cable car line, uh, which was also dismantled. And that road takes you from the top all the way to the bottom of the mountain. Now, if you follow that road, another really cool thing, or not cool, I shouldn't say cool, a, a tragic thing, but, but cool, I mean like an interesting, like an interesting thing about following that road down is that you can actually find the Mount Tom B-17 Memorial. This is where a plane actually crashed into Mount Tom. On July 9th, 1946, a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber converted into a transport plane crashed into the southeast slope of the mountain. The flight was en route to New York from Greenland and was stopping was going to stop over at West, uh, Westover Field in Chicopee as the port of entry into the United States before continuing on. The passengers were 15 Coast Guardsmen, four Army Air Corps servicemen, a Red Cross official, and a U.S. Public Health Corps medical doctor. And they were returning home after serving their country in Greenland during World War II. While making the approach to Westover on a dark, sort of rainy night, the plane struck the 12,000-foot mountain about 300 feet below the summit. After tearing through the trees, the B-17 hit a rocky outcrop causing the aircraft to disintegrate and started an intense fire that burned for much of the night. Several people who were at the Mountain Park Amusement Park at the base of Mount Tom that evening climbed up toward the accident site via the old cable railway roadbed, which I just described, but could not get close due to the heat of the fires. In the morning, rescue crews found the bodies of the young men among the wreckage. Uh, of course, all were killed upon impact. At the time, it was the worst air disaster in New England's history. So, um, you can sort of find that memorial there. And people over the years have actually found scraps of metal, pieces of the airplane. And I don't know, I haven't actually been down there recently. But I know they were piling them up on top of the memorial so you could see old pieces of the plane. They might have cleaned some of that up uh, or removed it due to safety reasons. But uh, people have s still continue to find pieces of that plane uh, to this day. So there you go, fifth graders. Some interesting stuff, some interesting local history uh, about Mount Tom, uh, a mountain that uh, the boys and I frequent and climb and enjoy often. It's rich in history, so go check it out, fifth graders. Okay, I'm going to move right along. We have been talking in our social studies block on the podcast about history, so we were talking a little bit about Mount Tom today, but I want to move on or back to the westward expansion. And today I want to talk about life as a pioneer. So once a pioneer family settled on a piece of land, they would often build their homes. 
Many pioneers lived in hillside dugouts until a new house could be built. On the prairies, where there were few trees, houses were made with sod or earth. The sod was cut into blocks and used like bricks. Where trees were plentiful, as in the northwest, log cabins were common. Pioneers had to grow their own food. The whole family helped. Men plowed fields and did other heavy work. Women tended vegetable gardens, made clothes, cooked, and cleaned the house. Children milked cows, fed animals, and collected chicken's eggs. Pioneer families were often lonely. The nearest neighbor might be 20 or 30 miles away, and the nearest town equally far. Schools were also few and far between, and often were one-room structures where all grades were taught by one teacher. Although life meant mostly hard work, pioneers did enjoy some opportunities to play. Weddings, barn raisings, births, and holidays were times reserved for fiddlers, dancing, and amusements. The 4th of July was a favorite holiday celebrated wildly throughout the West. So imagine that, 5th graders, your life is working, 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 working. With no neighbors, no friends around, no FaceTime, (laughs) no parties, no get-togethers. You can see why life was very hard for pioneers. One of the things that... um, Pioneers would use to get around were stagecoaches. Passenger coaches were a popular form of public transportation in the early 1800s. Because the coach driver changed horses every 15 miles, or stage, these horse-pulled coaches were called stagecoaches. Stagecoaches carried people and mail between towns often hundreds of miles apart. Most stagecoaches were very uncomfortable. The passenger cabin was small and held up to nine people. Imagine being stuck in one of these stagecoaches with nine other people bouncing over a rocky trail. Passengers sat on benches with no backs to lean on. Roads were poor. There was always the chance that the coach driver might drive too fast and tip the coach over. In addition to the discomfort, travelers faced danger of attack. Outlaws held up coaches for the mail and the money that might be inside, as well as the passengers' possessions. Imagine that. Why do you suppose they were so uncomfortable? What kind of luxuries do we have today in our public transportation? Compare and contrast those two modes of transportation. And I'm sure next time you're in a public transportation unit, you'll feel much more comfortable. Okay. I'd like to turn things over to Dogs Don't Tell Jokes by Lewis Sacker. We've been reading this great book. Uh, about Gary Boone, who goes by Goon, and his interactions with his classmates and his determination to get involved in this class talent show. He's been trying to decide how he wants to present his act. He's been looking at joke books, um, but his mother has a condition. What is Who remembers? What is his mother's rule about looking at his joke books? He has to get his work done first, right? His schoolwork done first. And he argues with that, right? What does he say about the importance of getting opportunities to look at his joke books? He says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a comedian. This is the important work I must be doing. I'm not going to use these other subjects when I'm a famous comedian. 
And I think mom, I think mom wants to be encouraging, but I also think mom has a broader view of making sure Gary gets his education and focuses on his schoolwork so that he can be successful, maybe as a comedian someday. Then we have that scene on the football field where Gary is playing with his classmates. Why do you suppose they don't involve him in the various plays? Is it because they don't think he's going to take it seriously? What is some evidence that suggests that maybe Gary does not take playing the game very seriously? Think about it, fifth graders. We're going to get started. Here's chapter 7. Here we go. Gary rode the elevator up to the fourth floor. The elevator was old and made bumping and creaking noises. Like it was ready to break down at any moment. Gary thought it would be fun to be stuck in an elevator and have to be rescued. But despite all its bumping and creaking, the elevator never broke down. At least, not when he was in it. He knocked on the door to Angeline's apartment. Her father opened the door. Hey, Gary, what's cooking? Asked Abel Persopolis. Mashed potatoes and gravy, Gary replied. He stepped inside. Where's Angeline? Abel looked puzzled. At her school, he said. Gary's heart dropped. But she called me this morning. She said she was home. That's impossible, said Abel. You sure you weren't dreaming? He wasn't sure of anything. He shrugged. Boo! shouted Angeline as she jumped up from behind the sofa. Gary jumped, then laughed. Angeline laughed too. She was ten years old, but she looked even younger. She only weighed sixty-four pounds. Gary looked back at her father. Gotcha, Abel said. Gary smiled. Angeline's father was normally very stiff and serious. It was nice to see him able to clown around. So, you know any new jokes? asked Angeline. Does Mother Goose know any nursery rhymes? said Abel. Gary smiled. Oh, okay, he said. Why did Mrs. Schnitzberry stand in front of the mirror with her eyes closed? Angeline and her father looked at each other. I don't know, why? said Angeline, her face glowing with expectation. She wanted to see what she looked like when she was asleep. Angeline cracked up. She thought it was the funniest joke she ever heard. Abel smiled, then walked into the kitchen, leaving the kids alone. Gary and Angeline sat on the sofa. It was also where Angeline slept when she was home. The sofa folded out into a bed. I get to come home every weekend, Angeline announced. Wow, that's great. We can start playing croquet again, said Angeline. I've got lots of hats, said Gary. She beamed at him. So how's school, he asked. Then whispered, You doing anything top secret? No. Gary rubbed his chin as he stared at her. Well, of course you have to say that. We don't do anything top secret, Angeline repeated. Gary nodded knowingly. Mm, your secret's safe with me, he said. We do mostly boring stuff, said Angeline. Some of the junk is interesting, but it's like the teachers are trying to fill up our heads with facts. I need to empty my head, not fill it. Gary nodded. When he was with Angeline, he always felt like he understood what she was talking about. But then when he got home and thought about it, he realized he had no clue. My head's empty, he said. It doesn't help me. He knocked his fist against his head, as if to prove it was hollow. Angeline laughed. 
There's going to be a talent show at my school, he said. Oh, that's perfect, said Angeline. You can tell jokes. He slapped himself on the forehead. Now why didn't I think of that? When is it, she asked. November 16th. Oh, Floyd Hicks' birthday, muttered Angeline. She did some quick calculations in her head, then angrily slammed her fist into the side of the couch. Bird feathers, she exclaimed. Why can't it be on Saturday? Bird feathers. It's a Friday night, said Gary. Maybe you can get home in time. Angeline shook her head. No, I don't think so. The airport limo doesn't leave until... Maybe. First prize is $100, Gary said. Oh, well, that's not important, said Angeline. He wondered why she said that. Didn't she think $100 was a lot of money? Or did she just think he had no chance of winning? You should just tell Mrs. Schnitzberry jokes for the talent show, Angeline suggested. They're the funniest. I don't know, said Gary. Nobody would know who she is. So, we don't know who she is either, said Angeline. That was true. But we know we don't know who she is, Gary pointed out. He had once told Angeline a Polish joke. As far as he could remember, it was the only time she didn't laugh. She said she didn't like ethnic jokes. She thought they were cruel. It was just a joke, Gary had tried to explain. But deep down, he realized she was right. So after that, he never told jokes that made fun of Polish people or black people or Jewish people or Italians or any other ethnic group. Instead, he made fun of only one person, Mrs. Schnitzberry, whoever she was. The name had just popped into his head. Why'd Mrs. Schnitzberry always wear two pairs of pants when she went golfing? Asked Gary. Why? Angeline asked eagerly. In case she got a hole in one. Angeline cracked up. Too bad you're not in my school, she said. Nobody there tells jokes. Right, said Gary. All I need is an IQ of about 3,000. Angeline blushed and looked away. Do you like anybody there? He asked. There's this one girl, said Angeline. Lola Baines. I like her. She collects worms. She's doing this neat project. She teaches worms to go through a maze. Then she grinds them up and feeds them to other worms. Well, the worms don't really eat the other worms. They ingest them. Gary nodded like he understood. Then the new worms, Angeline continued, the ones that eat the old worms, they can go through the maze on their first try. Really? asked Gary. That's amazing. That means... What does that mean? I don't know. I wonder, said Gary. I mean, I wouldn't really do it, so don't worry or anything. But if, let's say, I chopped you up and then I ate you, would I be smart? You'd get a stomachache, Angeline said. Then she laughed. How can you build a maze for worms? asked Gary. I mean, can't they just crawl over the walls and stuff? Sandpaper, said Angeline. They don't like to crawl on sandpaper. Oh, that's neat. Angeline smiled mischievously. You know what I told Lola? She whispered. She looked around to see if her dad was listening. I told her you were my boyfriend. Gary blushed. Is that okay? Angeline asked. Gary nodded very quickly. Angeline smiled at him. So, said Gary, did you hear about the three prisoners who were going to be executed by a firing squad? They put the first person up against the wall and were about to shoot him when suddenly he yelled, Earthquake! While everybody ran for shelter, the prisoner got away. Well, they finally realized there was no earthquake, so the second prisoner was brought out and put up against the wall. They were about to shoot him when he yelled, Tornado! 
Again, everyone ran for shelter, and the prisoner escaped. The third prisoner was Mrs. Schnitzberry. They put her against the wall. Ready? Aim? And Mrs. Schnitzberry yelled, Fire! Angeline laughed so hard, she fell off the couch. Later in the afternoon, Gary went to a movie with Angeline, her father, and Mr. Bone. Mr. Bone's real name was Melissa Turbone. She had been Gary's fifth grade teacher. The other kids in the class all called her Miss Turbone. Gary, and later Angeline, called her Mr. Bone. She never knew it because Mr. Bone sounded just like Miss Turbone. Melissa and Angeline's father had been dating for the last two years. Gary and Angeline hoped they'd get married. It was Melissa who had arranged for Angeline to go to the Musonic school. What's cooking, Mr. Bone? said Gary when Melissa got into the car. Mashed potatoes and gravy, she replied. The movie was about a boy and a dog who ran away from home. Angeline cried during most of the movie. Gary wished he could cheer her up. We're on a double date, he whispered into her ear. She stopped crying for a moment and laughed, then continued sobbing at the movie. He almost put his arm around her, but chickened out. At the end of the movie, the boy and the dog came home, and the boy's parents hugged them, and everyone was happy. Gary thought that would cheer Angeline up, but instead, it made her cry even harder. That was the best movie I ever saw, she said when they left the theater. They all went out to dinner. Gary had a great time. It wasn't like it was two adults and two kids. They were just four friends out on the town. So how's the garbage business, Abel? He asked. Angeline's father drove a garbage truck. Not too bad, Gary, he replied. We just got a CD player for the truck. Except, it's hard to hear over the noise. Plus, we have to stop about every 30 seconds, so it's kind of hard to get into a song. What kind of music do you listen to? Asked Gary. Oh, I don't really care, said Abel. Gus likes country music and opera. What do you like? Gary shrugged. People need to recycle more, said Mr. Bone. We waste so much. At the rate it's going, the garbage dump will be filled up in less than five years. There'll be no place to dump. Gary nodded. He remembered back in the fifth grade... Mr. Bone was always talking about recycling and saving the rainforests and whales and stuff. The waitress came by and took their order. Nobody ordered mashed potatoes and gravy. Actually, Gary, you want to know what I like best about my job? Asked Abel. What? The little kids. I don't know what it is, but little kids love to wave at garbage trucks. Do you wave back? Asked Mr. Bone. You bet. Tell them about the talent show, urged Angeline. Our school's going to have a talent show. Gary's going to tell jokes, said Angeline. He shrugged modestly. I just hope somebody laughs. The important thing is that you do your best, said Gary's former fifth grade teacher. I will, he said. I've already gone through half my joke books. I'm searching for the perfect jokes. I thought you were making up your own jokes, said Angeline. Anyone can pick jokes out of a joke book, said Melissa. Besides, your jokes would be a lot funnier than any jokes in a joke book, Angeline said. Gary thought about it. Okay, I will, he said firmly. If you're going to do it, do it right, said Melissa. I know you, Gary. You start things and then you don't finish them. You need to give 100%. Oh, I will, he assured her. This is the most important thing I've ever done in my whole life. Darn, I wish I could be there for it, said Angeline. Bird feathers. Brenda Thompson, a.k.a. Ruby Goldmine, was very upset. So far, only one person had signed up to be in the stupid talent show, Gary W. Boone. She said a certain unmentionable word. 
She definitely did not say bird feathers. Whatever happened to school spirit, she wondered. Well, if more people didn't sign up, they'd just have to cancel the talent show. That was all there was to it. She said that word, which was not bird feathers again. Julie, why don't you be in the talent show, she asked. Why should I? asked Julie Rose. You could win $100. Doing what? It doesn't matter. There are no judges. The audience votes on who wins. They both understood the significance of such a system. It didn't matter whether Julie was talented or not. The voting, like everything else at junior high, would be a popularity contest. And Julie Rose was possibly the most popular girl in school. Though, she was going steady with a boy in high school. I don't know, said Julie. She blew a strand of hair off her face. Brenda also tried convincing some of the boys to be in the talent show. You're a very talented person, Joe. Joe Reed shrugged. Who all, who all signed up for it? Asked Paul. Um, well, there's Gary Boone, said Brenda, reading from the paper as if she had the whole list of names. He's going to tell jokes. Goon? said Matt. I can tell funnier jokes than goon. Yeah, but you can't tell your jokes in school, said Ryan. The boys laughed. Brenda licked her lips. You know what we should do, said Paul. When goon's up on stage telling his stupid jokes, somebody should throw a pie in his face. Let's sneak up behind him and pull his pants down, said Ryan. Ah, oh, come on, said Joe. You can't do that. Why not, asked Matt. It's not right, said Joe. Think about it. The stupid talent show is probably the biggest thing in his life. Goon doesn't have any friends. All he does is tell jokes. Let him tell his jokes. Oh, you're breaking my heart, said Matt. Goon's a clown, said Paul. He'll love it. We can throw a pie in his face and spray him with a seltzer bottle. I bet he'll laugh right along with everybody else. I don't think so, Joe said. I say we pants him, said Ryan. Well, you're not going to get to do anything to him said Brenda, because there's not going to be a talent show if more people don't sign up for it. I'm in, said Matt. All right, me too, said Joe. But I say we leave Goon alone. His parents will probably be there and everything. Goon has parents? asked Matt. He screamed in terror. And that's where we'll stop for today, fifth graders. Wow, some meanery at the end of that chapter. What are the boys planning on doing to Goon while he's up on stage? Why do you suppose they're going to do that? We also got introduced some, to some new characters, Angeline's father and Melissa Turbone or Mr. Bone. And what did they encourage Gary to do? Gary said he was going to pick jokes from a book, but they said, hey, you should try something else. What did they suggest? All right, fifth graders, we will continue on with the story in the next episode. Please tune in again real soon. Hope you're doing well. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Be well.